Amen. You guys can be seated. Have you guys ever had a moment where you're minding your own business, you're just doing your thing, but it's quiet, so you're just able to sit and reflect on things? And then suddenly, you realize that you're like engaged in this deep, awesome conversation with God. Have you guys ever had a moment like that? If not, it's amazing. I highly recommend it. Um, but I had a moment like this a couple of weeks ago. I was headed back from Auburn, California, just a couple hours away. Um, I had had a meeting with a mentor. Um, she's an executive pastor at another Nazarene church. Um, we had just a great time. I learned so, so much from her. and We just had a lot of different conversations. And um, so I just started this time of reflecting over everything that she said, everything she shared, all of our conversations. There was a lot to think about. And unfortunately, I know you guys probably realize this, but that drive home, most of it you don't have cell reception. I didn't have CDs with me, so I wasn't listening to music. My radio was in and out of reception, so I just turned everything off. And at this moment where it was like, I don't know what to do. This kind of stinks. I don't want to just sit here bored the whole way home. But at the same time, this time of reflection became a time of prayer and listening to the, word, to the Lord. And I became super thankful for not having the distraction of entertainment. I became thankful for not being able to make a phone call or do anything except for just sit and listen. And during this time, I knew I was going to be getting ready to preach uh, coming up here. I knew I was going to be doing it today, but this was a couple of weeks ago, keep in mind. And all of a sudden, it was like I just started hearing all these things, and God gave me kind of like this message, and I started recording my thoughts. By the time I was home, I had 40 minutes of content, which was crazy. Um, it was one of those times where, like I said, I'm just so glad that I had to sit and be bored, which I don't know about any of you, but when you know you're going to be bored, you're like, I don't want to be bored. i got to find something to do. It really is true that out of boredom comes amazing things. Um, but anyway, it was one of those experiences, and it all came out of one single thought out of one word, and that word was forbearance. This word can be found in several places in scripture, but my most recent encounter had been rereading the fruit of the spirit, which you find in Galatians chapter five. Not every translation of the Bible uses the word forbearance. Some use patience, uh, patience toward others, or even long suffering, but my translation uses the word forbearance. So a couple years ago, reading that, not having any idea whatsoever what the word forbearance means. So if that's you today, do not feel bad. I did have to consult Webster. Um, but I looked it up and found the meaning, and it turned out to be this amazing word that has all these different meanings, and it's multifaceted. It's really awesome. So according to the dictionary, forbearance means patient self-control, restraint, and tolerance, it's also used in law, though, to mean the action of refraining from exercising a legal right, especially enforcing the payment of a debt. So in the blank space of my Bible, there just on the left-hand side, I wrote myself a note. Forbearance equals the giving up of a right. 
I wrote this because given every definition that I had read, every use of the word that I had come across, I felt that that best expressed the meaning. I do think long-suffering, patient endurance, that also covers it. But for me, there was something about this giving up of a right that goes along with it. So for whatever the reason, though, for the last couple of months, this word has just been going around in my head, forbearance, over and over and over again. It kept popping up in conversations, in my reading, just in thinking. I could not get past it. So it's not hard to see how in this moment when I'm just sitting and I have this blank space that this was the word that filled my mind on that drive home. It isn't hard to see how God would use that one word to birth the message which I intend to share with you all today. So we as Christians, we're headed into the season of Lent And I'm going to explain just in a moment what that is. But this season starts on Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Wednesday, as I mentioned. And then it goes to a day called Maundy Thursday, which falls on April 9th of this year. Side note, don't feel bad if you don't know what Maundy Thursday is. I had to look it up because I didn't know either because I am, um, what's the word, Protestant. Uh, So I didn't know. I'm sorry, I had like literally had to think of the word Protestant for some reason. But, you know, we don't tend to follow a lot of the liturgy in the Protestant church. But Mondi is derived from the Latin word to mean command. And it commemorates the washing of the feet and the Last Supper. It refers to Jesus' command that we love one another as he has also loved us. So back to Lent, it is designated time, it's during Ash Wednesday and Maundy Thursday, and it prepares the hearts of the believers for Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. The period of time is 40 days, kind of. So don't go to your calendars and count out the days, it's not going to actually equal 40 days, it's going to be slightly less. This is because Sunday's considered the Sabbath, it's left out, so you don't count Sundays. It's okay, we still call it 40 days. Um, Anyway, it's the time to prepare intentionally. It's to fast, to abstain from something, to spend time in prayer, to repent of our sins, put to death our sinful natures, and give to others, whether monetarily or with time or service. The idea is that each believer would pray about what the Lord would want them to sacrifice during this time. The time frame of 40 days and the sacrifice represents Christ's 40-day journey in the desert which we'll be reading about today in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. What's crazy about this conversation I ended up having with God in the car, this time of reflection, is that, I mean, I knew that Lent was coming. I didn't really think, though, about the fact that this Sunday was going to be the Sunday that leads us into Lent. And it just so happened that with the word forbearance, this scripture is what came to mind first. Um, But we're going to be in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. I seriously almost put down the microphone to read. That's not going to work. You guys probably want to be able to hear me. If you'd like to follow along, please do so. Um, You are more than welcome to use the YouVersion app if you want to. No one's going to judge you harshly. All right. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand up on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will only bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So what can we learn then from this encounter where Jesus is being tempted and tested in the wilderness? First of all, the first thing that, noti- that I noticed, the, biggest ta- the big takeaway that you can take first, is that Jesus was led there by the Spirit to be tempted. That is important because... There's a reason it specifically says that Jesus was led. Earlier this week, I saw a post on Twitter, and somebody was wanting people to share their experiences with fasting, which is where you abstain from something, usually to spend time in prayer, um, to, to, to grow in your relationship with Christ. And they wanted to know stories of people's experience. And I started reading testimony after testimony of people whose, whose lives were completely changed by this experience. It was an amazing thing. But the same people who had testimony about what had happened and how great and life-changing these experiences were also said, only when I was prompted by the Spirit. Anytime I attempt to fast on my own, it seems to be a failure. So my point is there's a reason that Jesus waited and that he went at the prompting of the Spirit. Because upon reading those testimonies, I wondered if Jesus hadn't been led by the Spirit, if he had done it on his own, would the time of testing have produced the same results? So let's look at what took place in this interaction between Satan and the tempter and Jesus. Prefacing with this, today I'm only going to be focusing on one of the areas of temptation. I would love to focus on all of them, but seriously, it would take forever. We'd be here for hours, which I wouldn't mind, but I know some of you might not like that very much. But um, it really is meant to be a multi-sermon thing because there is so much context. There's so much information in there when you really look at what's going on. But I'm gonna really be covering four, one through, uh, one through four in depth. One of the things that Jesus was tempted by was a real legitimate need, and that was to eat. To give his body food, which is needed for strength and nourishment. There's nothing wrong at all with the need to eat. And it is perfectly normal and understandable that Jesus would be tempted to make food for himself, given the level of hunger he had after 40 days of no food. That temptation is the epitome of human nature because it represents our most basic need for survival. There's nothing wrong with Jesus desiring food. Jesus had a right to eat, just like all of us do, right? How many of us in here care about the cause of hunger? We believe that every human being has the right to be nourished at a very minimum. Being fed, I think we would all agree, is a human's most basic need for survival. Because without without food, no amount of love, no amount of shelter will keep you alive. It is our basic human right. Which begs the question then, why wouldn't Jesus just eat? 
If it's okay, if there's nothing wrong with eating, especially when you're hungry, why would he do that? The answer to this question is simply because it would not have been the right way or the right time. In those circumstances, the ways in which he would have had to go about getting food would not have brought glory to God. It was not God's will or plan for Jesus to access his unlimited, independent use of divine power in order to feed himself. Jesus knew he needed to wait on God to provide for his needs rather than taking matters into his own hands. Not to mention the fact that part of God's plan was for Jesus to give up the rights in order to experience humanity in full. How would Jesus be able to continue proclaiming to people who were, ex- who were also experiencing extreme hunger that man does not live on bread alone but on the very word of God from the mouth of the Lord? How could he stand up just a few, just one chapter later on a hillside and declare, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled if he had not known what it was like for himself to starve. How much more he would be able to relate and how much more weight his message would have because of denying himself food. He could stand on that message because he knew what it was like to be hungry and rely fully on God. We all experience desires in life that in and of themselves are normal and good in the right circumstances. It's when we seek to satisfy those needs and desires in the wrong way and at the wrong time that they become bad. Food, for instance, as we've already established, is necessary for physical nourishment. But stealing food is not the right way to go about getting it. There are many God-given needs that are good, but only when they are satisfied according to God's plan and his timing. So thinking about this brought me back to that word forbearance. One of the nine attributes listed as the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. Attributes that Jesus himself possessed and exemplified. Because remember that Jesus is 100% God, 100% Holy Spirit at the same time as being 100% man. So when we look at his life in scripture and all that he did, when we look at what took place in the desert with him denying himself food among other things, We see time and time again where Jesus practices forbearance. Time after time in scripture where Jesus would talk about giving up our human rights or where he actually gave up his human rights for the sake of God's kingdom. We also see in scripture where others would give up their human rights for the same purpose. Here are just some examples of forbearance in scripture that came to mind during this time. These are just things Jesus said right here. Love your enemies. Do good to them even when they only do evil to you. Do not repay evil with evil. Give without expecting anything in return. Be kind and generous to the ungrateful and the wicked, just as God is kind and generous. Forgive. By the measure with which you forgive, you also will be forgiven. If someone slaps you on your face, turn to them the other cheek. If someone demands your jacket, give them also your shirt. If someone demands for you to go with them a mile, go with them two miles. Do not get even with those who reject you. Let it be and move on. 
John the Baptist, this is another example that we see of someone that practices forbearance. He was sent to prepare the way for, for, for Jesus. From a very human perspective, when we consider the flesh, it could have been really easy for him to be bothered by the fact that Jesus was attaining all of these disciples. John's disciples were leaving him. But he wasn't bothered. In fact, when someone came to him to tell, us, tell him that Jesus was now taking and baptizing these disciples from him, John's response was, I am not the Messiah. He must become greater and I must become less. In his flesh, would he not have been justified to be angry and bothered by the situation? Yeah. Because everyone would have totally understood that. It would have been seen as a normal response. But he gave up his right to be human, to show human emotion or even feel human emotion for God's glory and for the sake of God's kingdom. In Jesus' time, it was customary for a rabbi to just kind of sit and wait when they, when they got done with all of their learning. They would wait for the best and brightest to come and ask to be their disciples and to learn from them. We don't see that in Jesus. He's an anomaly. He's the only one that goes out and looks. And not just for the best and brightest. He was definitely questioned for his choices because he picked people like fishermen who had failed, who didn't make it to become a rabbi, probably studied. They just didn't make the cut for whatever reason. These are the people that Jesus chose. But Jesus being 100% man and also 100% God, there had to be at least a level, some foresight, when Jesus sought Simon, whom would later be called Peter, and when he sought Judas Iscariot. We know for sure that by the time that the Last Supper took place, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him and that Peter would deny him. We know this because there's this account written where Jesus confronts them on it. Without words, Jesus identifies Judas as the one who would betray him. And when Judas did, left to go and do as Jesus said he would, Jesus then told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the night is over. Yet just before this, knowing what's going to happen, he washed their feet and then proceeded to break bread with them. Just put yourself in those shoes for a moment. How many of us in here have been wronged by someone? I would say all of us, even if you're not raising your hand. <laughs> At some point in our lives, we've been wronged by someone. Someone hurt us. We rightfully felt hurt, angered, or betrayed because they did something to us. All of us have been on the receiving end of mistreatment at some point. In our flesh, our natural tendency is to either repay the wrongdoing or to become hardened so that we can be sure it will never happen again. To have justice served in some way. That's the only way we feel better in our flesh. Definitely, it is in our nature to never want to hang out with that person again. Because they're not worth it. They hurt me too deeply. I can never trust them again. You name it. Maybe I just can never be their friend. I don't want to ever be around them. But Jesus didn't model that. Jesus modeled sitting down. Getting on his knees and washing the feet of the very men who were going to betray him on the deepest personal level. These were people that he loved, people that he trusted, and they were about to betray him in the worst way possible. 
I came to the realization as I was thinking about this and how bad it hurts to be betrayed. The only way you can truly feel betrayed by someone is if you first love them and trust them completely. It hurts anytime someone treats you badly, but how much deeper does it cut when the person holding the knife is someone that you love and you trust? There's nothing that hurts worse than being betrayed. The pain of being hurt by someone that you love hurts a thousand times worse. These were people that he traveled with, that he ate meals with, that he did life with closely and personally, yet he didn't fight for his rights. He didn't pound his fists on the table or, in anger, run them out of the room. He practiced forbearance. We know that Judas, after betraying Jesus, presumably so filled with guilt and shame, couldn't live with himself. So there was no opportunity for him to make things right. But with Peter, whom denied Jesus three times, we have this beautiful encounter after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is standing on the shore of this beach, and he's looking out. And there's Simon Peter, and there is Nathaniel and Thomas, and they're fishing. And Jesus says to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. So Jesus told them to throw their nets on the right side of the boat where they would find some. Almost exactly the same situation as when Peter dropped everything to follow Jesus. At this, the men recognized that it was Jesus. And Peter, in his desperation, jumped out of the boat, swam to the shore to meet him. He was so happy to see his Lord. And after the men shared a meal with Jesus, despite what Peter had done, Jesus looks at Peter. And he asks, Simon, do you love me? Yeah, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I just told you I love you. You know I do. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, you know I do. What an intimate moment where three times Peter denied Jesus and three times Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Where Peter could answer, yes, Lord, I love you. I just, sometimes I can't even wrap my mind around the amount of patience and grace and tolerance we are shown by God. Forbearance. Jesus would have been completely justified within his rights. No one would have ever questioned him if he had said, hey, Thomas, uh, Nathaniel, why don't you guys come over here? Let's have a meal. Peter, mm -mm, you stay over there. That Peter guy, I don't want anything to do with him. I told him he was going to deny me. I told him. I warned him. He did it. I'm done with him. But he didn't. Even though no one would have ever questioned a response like that because that is a completely normal way to respond to someone that does something like that. But Jesus practices forbearance. I don't know about you guys, but that seriously is one of the most moving things I've ever read about in scripture or with regards to Jesus and who he was and who God is. I've messed up a lot in my life, like a lot in my life. There have been a lot of times where maybe I didn't deny God with my mouth like Peter did, but I did with my lifestyle. 
So when I look at this, when I read this encounter, what happens, for him to come back after me, to reinstate me, for him to come back after all of you sitting here in this room, to reinstate all of you, because here's the deal. There is nothing that we can do that can ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Name the biggest thing you could have done. Doesn't matter. He wants you. He loves you. And if you came, he would reinstate you. Knowing Jesus' character, I believe it wouldn't have mattered if Peter had denied him three times or 300 times. Knowing Jesus' character, had Judas been around to be able to repent, I believe fully that Jesus would have reinstated them. Jesus' character is such that my rights don't matter. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, practices forbearance. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself to take on the lowest of positions. He humbled himself to the point of being rejected, of being betrayed, being mocked by people that he loved, being spat on, being whipped, being beat, a crown of thorns shoved onto his head, humiliated and completely dehumanized. Every one of his most basic human rights were violated and stripped away. But he humbled himself to be obedient to the point of being crucified, to the point of being nailed, practically naked to a cross, the most humiliating, most painful, most barbaric death a person can die. He died the death of a criminal, though he did nothing because he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Do you see how this truth spoken in Philippians, how it could have been completely diminished if Jesus had acted differently in his testing in the desert? If he had taken that stone and turned it to bread, how would that have changed what Paul wrote about Jesus? Even though he could justify doing, doing it, what power would remain in that statement? Would it even have been able to remain true that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped? We live in a world that screams for our rights. I am a grown adult. It's my right to behave in whatever manner I want, whatever manner I choose. They hurt me. It's my manner to get right. It's my right to get even with them. It's my right to feel bitter toward them. It's my right to resent them. It's my right to never want to see them again. It's my right to do whatever I want with my body. Society is screaming all the time about our rights. But that is not the life that Jesus modeled. Jesus modeled forbearance, patient endurance, long-suffering, 
the giving up of a right for the sake of the kingdom, because Jesus had the good of the kingdom in mind at all times. To be fair, there is not an expectation that society behaves in the manner of Christ. We can't put that on people that don't, tru that don't truly know any better. However, it is an expectation for those of us that claim to love him and follow him. Nothing was more important to Jesus than bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, than doing the will of the Father, than God's glorification. That was Jesus' only concern. Yes, he cared for people. Yes, he had empathy for people. He didn't want to see people going hungry or naked. He didn't want people to be sick. He didn't want people to be heartbroken over the loss of a loved one. It's why Jesus fed people. It's why he clothed them. It's why he healed the sick. It's why without being asked and no one drawing attention to it, he noticed a widow who was about to bury her, own, her only son. He noticed her, and in his heartbreak for her, he chose to raise him back to life. But Jesus understood that at the end of the day, the most important thing is that God is glorified, that God receives the glory, and it is impossible for him to receive the glory when we don't go about things the way that God would go about them. When we take things into our own hands, when we demand our rights, when we demand being able to satisfy our desires, where is God's glory in that? When speaking about the cost of following him, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself. Put your flesh and your sinful nature to death. Practice forbearance. As I mentioned earlier, we're moving into this season of Lent, which is observed as a time for us to give something up, a time of sacrifice. But it isn't that simple. It isn't just an act of giving something up. Some people might use this as a time to give up social media or potato chips or sugar, a lot of different things. And those are all really good things, potentially, to give up. Don't get me wrong. Ultimately, though, the purpose of Lent is not just that we give something up for the sake of giving it up. Lent is a wonderful time to exercise self-control, to implement some discipline in our lives, but that isn't the point. The point of Lent is to sacrifice something for the sake of God's kingdom, for the advancement of God's kingdom, to practice forbearance. So as we move into the season and you're asking God what it is that he wants you to do, what he wants you to surrender, be thinking about what God wants you to give up in order for his kingdom to be advanced. For you, maybe that could mean giving up alcohol in order that you can be sure you don't cause another person to stumble. It could be giving up a right to gamble, a right to drink a beloved beverage like coffee or whatever it is that you absolutely love and feel like you can't go without. Or maybe it means giving up a nice meal and instead using the money that you would have spent to advance God's kingdom in some way. It could mean stepping out in faith and tithing to the church for the first time, trusting God to take care of you. 
It could mean giving up something that is currently a time waster and using the time instead to enrich your relationship with Christ. It could be giving up a portion of time during the week to minister to others. As I was preparing for this, I got to thinking about the fact that we moved into this building, we chose this building so that we could be nestled right in this surrounding neighborhood. We wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this neighborhood specifically. So how is it? How are we doing with that? If we took the time to evaluate, how are we doing with that? What are we doing to minister to our neighbors? Not just how are we connected as a whole, the church sponsoring events and going out in the neighborhood. How are we individually doing in the neighborhood? Is God maybe asking you to sacrifice something so you can spend time serving this neighborhood? There are a lot of very unique ways that God speaks to us. There are very unique ways that we can sacrifice our rights in order to advance God's kingdom. The praise band's going to come back up. We're going to move into connecting time. And as we're in this time, would you just take the time to ask God to reveal to you what he would have you do? You specifically? Would he have you give up for his will to be done in order for his name to be glorified? As I mentioned, Lent is not just about giving something up for the sake of giving it up. Jesus didn't go hungry so he can say, I gave up food. So as we seek God's desire for our life, as you seek God's desire for your life, I implore you, ask yourself, how will what you're doing impact his kingdom? Ask yourself, at the end of these 40 days, what will be my testimony? At the end of these 40 days, what will someone else's testimony be because I sacrificed?